we don't want money, we don't want dollars, we just want Peter Roman to thoroughly ball us. Wait a second, I think I think uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini has entered the chat. And Luger also opened up Kushi Municipal. <laughs> because you're not rich, Eliza, because you're not rich. Oh my god, I forgot that for a second. Welcome to Totally Unrelated, a place for history, trivia, media, brain farts and the occasional venting session. My name is Diana and joining me today to discuss another proto-fascist asshole is a friend who, for once, does not have the most stereotypically Eastern European sounding name. Ladies, gentlemen and ambies of the world, I give you the one, the only, the Elisa. Yes, I am very happy to be here in this episode, ready to suck all of your blood and everybody else. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do the <laughs> the Transylvanian voice. That's that's somebody else's uh, trademark. That hopefully we're gonna you're gonna also have uh, on the show one of these days. <laughs> uh, but what I can actually do is in a very normal Stine, my Liebling, because I mean I am half German. So this is uh, yet another uh, one of your episodes that is clearly hitting a little bit close to home. Mm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, I'm here to to uh, be the over-the-top German person, even though mm, I'm not that good at speaking German technically. Anyway, uh, oh yeah, so to make it uh, already clear, already a race traitor. Oh yes, yes, I, I'm a race traitor <laughs> many times over, many times over. Uh, just to just to make it clear to everybody, I'm not like Angela Merkel German. I'm like one of these weird Eastern European German people that uh, Prince Charles really, really likes. Uh, look it up if you're super curious and not from around these here parts. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I myself don't have any, like, uh, I don't know, I'm not some kind of expert political commentator, but I like to know about stuff and just hate on politics in general. I have been known to, you know, go off on political rants when especially when i'm intoxicated but not just then so <laughs> you know i this might be a little bit more different since this is quite early in the day and i haven't drunk enough yet you're, you're already more high energy than i am so it's fine. i mean that's just called an anxiety my dear <laughs> it's, it's... <laughs> we all express it differently <laughs> i mean yes yes i do have the personality of a chihuahua on math at times so <laughs> let's see let's see which eliza we're gonna get on this episode anyway tell me about a bunch of really bad politicians yeah well you know uh are you ready for a round of schnitzel and bad politics eliza yeah, my Liebling, <laughs> schnitzel is something I really, really like. Uh, no, I don't, I don't, but let's pretend I do. Yeah, yeah, again, you're a race traitor, so we've established that. A, p a proud race traitor, really. Yeah, yes, yeah. Okay, so uh, before we begin, as a reminder, this episode is part of a series, and if you'd like to listen to a summary of the wider historical context we're trying to look at, uh, check out episodes one and two, uh, titled From Fan Fiction to Fascism, and episode six, uh, that time Vienna did an anti-Semitism. Uh, as usual, check out the episode description for books or articles we reference. So let's get right into it. Last time I had a chat with Bogdan about a certain Georg Schönerer, a loud and proud nationalist who blew the politics of civility right out of the Blue Danube's waters, thrashing his opponents both figuratively, but often literally as well. 
However, his success was mostly in terms of public rhetoric, which is no small feat to be sure, but he wasn't quite as successful in passing actual policies. Thing is, when you start a fire, even if you have butter fingers and drop the torch, someone more apt at being evil or just plain unscrupulous and self-serving will be sure to pick it up and do more harm. I mean, if you think about it, that's not very different or different at all at what you generally see in politics in uh, Eastern Europe. I mean, somebody comes up with a bad, bad idea that they don't particularly understand. And then when, you know, other people find out about it or somebody else is stronger and they get replaced, the other person picks up the same shitty policy, even if they're from a completely different platform. And then they just hammer it in even more and more, even though like there's technically no point or understanding or logic behind it. Well, you know, we're at the periphery, so uh, we don't even get the benefit of having especially original or creative kooks coming along with bad ideas. It's usually just, uh, you know, whatever, whatever America or <laughs> some, some other Western politician, uh, bad politician comes up with and we just uh, gobble it all up. Yeah, so what you're saying is that we're getting the off-brand like bad policies. The yeah. Adibas of it's bad always, policy. Yeah, exactly. It, it's Adibas all the way. Adibas all the way. Mm. If you're Eastern European, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so uh, all this brings us to this episode's uh, subject. Vienna's most beloved son. And one Sigmund of his... Freud? Was it Sigmund? Was <laughs> no. it Hans Asperger? Was it no. Franz Ferdinand? No. 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 Marie Antoinette? No. Who was it? Well... <sighs> I'll have to disappoint you, but it was a certain Dr. Karl Löger. Ooh, Dr. Karl Löger. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Not, not a medical doctor. You know, oh, oh. So, uh, I think, I think though, discussing Löger is quite interesting because he's definitely the sort of brainier version of a proto-fascist. Uh, in the sense that he rose to power and then basically became the status quo for several years in the city. And he probably had glasses and wore a pocket protector? Uh, maybe maybe some uh, monocles uh, at some time. Uh, mm. but, uh, Do you yeah. think he wore the monocles ironically or seriously? Asking the real millennial questions over here. Oh, I don't know. I think only for practical reasons, because, you know, mm. if you have anything that's, that, that, that is an aid in any way and you're a right winger, that's perceived as weakness. Well, I, I think politicians in general have a problem with being perceived as weak. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess you're right. I guess that does, you know, doesn't really help with the whole supreme race thing. Yeah. But didn't Hitler also wear glasses? Uh, again, I think only when uh, strictly necessary and behind closed doors. So, uh, because uh, Dr. Löger is the kind of person some would defend from charges of being a proto-fascist by citing his cynicism and political opportunism as if the idea he didn't really mean all that makes him somehow less odious. Um, sort of like that time when I uh, accidentally dated a white supremacist for a couple of weeks back when I was a freshman in college because I couldn't take him seriously when he said weird fascist shit because I figured, I mean, it's in 2010, who says shit like that? He must be ironic. And then he skipped down with my like vacation 
well technically study shit money but i think that's maybe a, a story for another episode when we delve into the i don't know the... <laughs> let's not even let's not even delve into that let's just let's move on from the horrible decisions i have made in my uh, personal life okay uh, so so, so you are you are irony poisoned because basically I mean, yes, yeah yes 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 oh i i like that name let's let's make that a thing let's write a thesis about it and then paddle it to some like very a uh, white centric uh, feminist website yeah uh, okay, so unlike Schoenerer, uh, whom who was the sort of a guy that would awaken within people pretty strong feelings, either positive or negative, because of his out there personality, uh, Lerger is the epitome of what we now call the Dapper Nazi. Wait, 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 no, no. Does that mean that he also wore Hugo Boss socks? I mean, uh, I think the man was quite uh, careful with his public appearance and persona as we shall see further on but brand branded stuff all the way he 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 would strive to make himself his own brand like he would you know right. he would be a sort of champion in that sense i guess or like kanye <laughs> maybe uh but the the whole idea behind the dapper Nazi definition is that uh, we're talking about a socially frequentable, seemingly affable and reasonable person who doesn't really care about political correctness and is just asking some questions, you know? And uh, we are talking about people who were one or two steps removed for, from what we came to know as full-on fascism. Oh, but and trying like, to... I mean, like, can you be just a little bit? fascist or like just fascist adjacent like isn't it like the whole proverbial you know red sock with the white laundry could can you be just like you know one one shade removed from fascism or aren't you just fascist at that point already like well yeah but you see the whole idea of fascism has been transformed into this huge baddie but in the sense that most people only recognize it if it's something or someone who is a monster 24-7. And the thing is that usually you just sort of slide into this gradually. Not even the symbols of fascism were came out of the womb with their ideas fully formed, you know. And, and because people don't usually understand that uh, certain ideas that sound off are the beginning of, you know, the slide into fascism, uh, rather than fascism just being, you know, the, the baddie who shows up and ha 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 ha, now I will do a fascism. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think uh, that's what we can uh, mean by one or two steps removed from full-on fascism. Plus, you have to remember that this is before fascism as we came to know it was a thing so there wasn't a historical precedent of this sort you know you have had programs before you have had a lot of shitty stuff beforehand but like the full package was yet to be experienced by by the people i guess so uh what you're saying is that luger is sort of like um i don't know the fascist hipster or something uh, I wouldn't call it hipster because uh, basically he was uh, spearheading a socially conservative movement. 
but I guess uh, he was a sort of Richard Spencer. Okay. I guess probably only if Richard Spencer actually became mayor of a huge city. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. th- th- that's a discussion for another day, <laughs> I think. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I get from from a um, historical perspective where you're coming from and from like an ideological perspective and, and all of that. But I think um, specifically in, in this sense, like you said before that, well, I mean, he's just asking some questions. He's a nice guy who's asking some uncomfortable questions. Right. And I think we can very much see that uh, in today's society with a lot of people who are technically fascist or are espousing, whether they're politicians or everyday people who are espousing like fascist ideals or goals or I don't know, whatever. Uh, and they're, they themselves are positioning themselves as, as just like, you know, we're just reasonable people who are using their logic to ask very serious questions about uh, about you know the reptilians and and the pedophiles under that pizzeria and and about how you know Hillary Clinton and and like who else is it Soros and uh, everybody else is involved in the new world order and all of that shit and you know where I'm I'm coming from and where I'm trying to get like if at least in today's sense if you're already you know, circling the drain of fascism. You don't have to go fully down to be already in it. You're not just a nice guy who's asking questions. Who is, you're somebody who is actually saying some pretty messed up things about people who aren't like you simply uh-huh. because they aren't like you. I mean, I, yeah. I, th- I think I, it's maybe I'm just a little bit triggered right now, like the real <laughs> little race trading snowflake that I am. That there's this uh, focus on on nuancing things a little bit too much when it comes to whatever kind of political extremist views people have, uh, and and clearly nothing is black and white, and there's like more than fifty shades of gray. But uh, I don't know. I think if you're a little bit fascist, you're already basically fully fully fascist. But but enough, you know, enough enough of my 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 uh, you know, <laughs> overthinking things. Uh, we we can get back to Mr. Lüge, and and his <laughs> beginnings. Yes, Elisa, but you see, he was ever so popular as a mayor, and he also turned Vienna into a modern city. He couldn't have been all bad. You know? I mean, yes, because people aren't complex and bad people don't do good things and good people don't do bad things. I mean, you're either a demon or a saint and that's how the world has always worked, right? You've just blown my mind because apparently I was pronouncing his name uh, incorrectly. So it's not uh, Luger, it's Luger. Luger. I, I think it would be Luger because it's the U-E thing. So I, I defer to your Germanness for Again, I'm a this. very bad, yeah, I'm a very bad German. I, I used to speak it daily but haven't in a really long time but I, Luger is it's for Luger. sure not Luger is what I'm gonna say <laughs> I mean okay so I was clearly wrong you're not sure whether or not you're right but I, I was clearly wrong yes okay. yes <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's good enough for me <laughs> Luger okay Luger. 
also so, like the, the thing about if it's the Luger, that's also kind of a little wordplay because that would kind of make his name mean liar. Oh, I see. Oh, it's not fully that, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it's close enough. So I, I feel like we could go with that. Yes. Well. Okay. So let's see briefly what we're what we'll be looking at uh, in this episode. Luger's background and his early <laughs> career as a, wouldn't you know it, liberal. Uh, and I say this because it was a very familiar pattern for many politicians who would eventually end up at the helm of the new, of the new, more uh, radical and populist parties of the day to have uh, been liberals to, be, to begin with. Then we'll look at his rise to mayorship at the head of the Christian Socials and we'll find out who the hell these Christian Socials were anyway. I'm very intrigued. Very intrigued. (laughs) Uh, We'll uh, learn a bit about his time in office and what he did to earn the title of Vienna's most beloved son and most beautiful corpse, eventually. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, you know I'm the one to, to, to give all the spoilers, so... Oh yeah, yeah. I can't, be I can't believe. And wait. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe it. He's he's not around anymore. He didn't live forever, even though he was part of the master race. Yes. <laughs> shooketh. I declare myself shooketh. Okay, and then we'll conclude with his political legacy. Now, in the previous episode, Bogdan graciously suggested a good way to both understand and measure the fuckupness of the that prominent Viennese proto-fascist Georg Schöner, a sort of uh, Papa und Penisometer. <laughs> because, oh boy, the man clearly had some daddy issues. Um, unfortunately, the sources I consulted to, uh, on Luger does, uh, don't seem to, to, rank, uh, to suggest that he ranked quite as high in this regard. But, you know, no worries, because this one is a mother-worshipping son with, who never married, so, you know, we're good. <laughs> yeah, but like just going back to that, you said you didn't, you know, your research suggests that he didn't have this issue. And like, I want to make sure I'm asking the right questions, the real questions. Does me does this mean that, you know, for a fact that his dad was like a decent guy or that uh, Luger like indeed had a massive Viennese schnitzel beater? I think from what I can remember that uh, he, his dad died while he was still very young. He, he probably just didn't have a... His father wasn't a strong presence in his life, I guess. Would right. be just... Yeah, so... Uh. But there was mom! Oh, yes, mommy dearest. Okay, so Luger's, Luger's family background was rather modest. Um, however, he had a very ambitious mother who supported her son with a feverish devotion that he would later reciprocate. Unlike Georg Schönerer, whom you'd have expected to attend the best school his nouveau-riche family could pay for, it was actually Karl Luger who, act- who attended the Teresianum, uh, the school where all the sons of the Austrian and Hungarian aristocracy mingled. I mean, I don't know how much the Austrian and Hungarian aristocracy truly mingled in that school because i mean they were hobnobbing yeah i mean i don't know how much hobnobbing was really happening because for that time relationships between the two societies are very much uh, divorced i mean technically it is the austro-hungarian empire but the hungarians don't really 
matter. They're not really involved in political life as much as they would like to be. They're kind of second-class citizens, and that's very much reinforced, especially in places like the Teresianum. So well, I, I... Yeah, yeah, but uh, also uh, when you compare them with other ethnic minority, well, with other ethnic groups within the empire, the Hungarians I mean, obviously. Cle- clearly obviously. had the leg up because you had the dual monarchy in uh, yeah. since uh, 1867, I think. So basically, uh, at least half of the empire were, was uh, technically, at least, administered from Bu- Budapest. So yeah, somewhat more involved. Yeah. Yeah, and of course the Czechs and all the other groups were kind of pissed off because everyone was like, okay, so we can share power. Then why, 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 what? <laughs> why, yeah, why, but then why, I, yeah. I mean, you know, Hungarians in general, we tend to be because, oh yeah, I'm a race trader to that race as well. We tend to be like, you know, just like, Pushy. I mean, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. No, we tend to be like, you know, I mean, yeah, everybody else is against us and, and they're just like, they're they're after us they're out to get us oh my god they're out to get us but also at the same time we're like yeah fuck everybody who's not like us but especially you know the czechs the slovenians the slovakians the romanians the jews especially the jews but again that's another discussion for another episode i just wanted to make sure that i you know make it clear how many races i'm trying to betray here and like yeah yeah you know be be on top of everybody's hit list as much as possible um, so, although the students uh, were separated by class, Luger never seemed to develop resentment towards his social superiors. In fact, as uh, Shorsky remarks, his was the sensibility of the well-trained servant who knows breeding better than the classes that lie between his masters and his own. Whoop whoop! Boot liquor alert! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was licking on those boots and making them very shiny. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Perfect for some chandash. Yeah. But, you know, as much as we might make fun of him, this demeanor would aid him with his political career later on because he would never ruffle unnecessary elite feathers. And at the same time, he would command the respect of the masses through his cool manner and their love by employing the local dialect in his speeches. So he was also pulling the whole folksy politician thing. I do believe that Austria is one of these European countries that just inherently tends to circle back towards uh, authoritarian figures. Not not every nation has it, but a couple of us really do have it over here. It's just like, oh, look, a strong man. Mm. <laughs> I mean, are you doing a kink shaming now, Elisa? I mean, I'm not into that. Here's the thing. I, I I think we are all aware, at least over here in Europe, that Austrians have very much embraced their kings. They do have a proud tradition with like <laughs> weird sex shit and like more power to them, you know? Go explore it. Yeah. But like if you're already doing that, could you just explore it in your bedrooms and and like uh, from what I understand, a pretty decent uh, sex industry uh, instead of just, you know, putting all of that weird energy into your policies like, you know, go have orgies, you know, like as long as everybody is an adult and consenting, just go crazy. But like stop putting strong men who have issues with non-Austrians like could we not? You know, could we not? It'd be so nice. I'm sorry, I'm just dreaming of a better yeah. world. Okay, well, uh, 
during a young Hitler's stay in Vienna in the early 1900s, Luger and his party had been the establishment for several years, and their hold over the city seemed total. The future Führer was of two minds about Vienna's mayor. Uh, in an article on Luger, historian Robert Wistrich says the following. In Luger, the 18-year-old Hitler did indeed see the modern mass leader, even if he remained critical of his mentor's pro-Austrianism and half-hearted anti-Semitism. An apparent anti-Semitism that was almost worse than none. In matters of principle, Hitler certainly had no doubt that von Schönerer, rather than Luger, was the better and more profound thinker, that is, he had grasped the centrality of the issues of race and of the Jewish question. So what you're saying is that Hitler was like, go hard or go home? Yes, in, in terms of uh, the Jewish question, the, I mean, certainly. So basically, so basically Hitler and Luger met. And they were like bros a little bit. But then Hitler was like, I mean, I guess he's cool, but he just doesn't hate the Jordan enough. Well, I, I mean, Matt is a very loosely defined term in the sense that Hitler was a young man and he was around when Luger was still in power. Yes, uh, because he was basically a young man in search of his fortune in Vienna. You know, he was trying to get into art school and we know how that panned out. Oh boy. Uh, and then for a while he was actually homeless in Vienna. Uh, so he experienced uh, both the highs, highs and the lows of the city. Mostly the lows, though. Yeah. See, what, how how much different you know European history could have looked like if if he would have just had access to something like couch surfing. <laughs> Maybe he would have just uh, met if... a nice you know non-white Austrian girl and like yeah, I'm joking, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, things were set in motion. If you know, if there, if there wouldn't have been a Hitler, there would have been someone else, probably with a weirder name. I mean, yeah, it's it was destined for Eva Braun to find herself somebody like that. <laughs> yeah, and also, although you know, uh, joking aside, your whole idea about uh, if there would have been a stronger social safety net, then maybe then maybe you wouldn't have had someone like him, but also you probably wouldn't have had a public that was uh, ready to hear and accept the, that sort of message, right? Because their social needs and material needs would have been met and then you wouldn't have had mass discontent, so... Oh, oh, so, so, oh, you're, you're, oh my God, are you actually saying that if, if people are struggling in their lives, you know, financially, emotionally, whatever, like, when they don't have access to healthcare and, like, a social safety system, like, uh, paid medical leave and, and, uh, you know, uh, disability checks or, um, you know, uh, unemployment assistance and all of these things that they themselves are more ready to be manipulated by uh, divisive and populist uh, uh, rhetoric. And that when you don't have access to enough education, then, uh, you know, these things tend to happen more and more. Is that what you're trying to say? And that some people I, pursue I... this as actual policy to make sure that they can get away with this shit? I mean, 
I could never. I don't think we've ever seen no. that. I, I don't I, think. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm just asking questions, Elisa. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying anything. I'm so I'm happy asking. that that kind of stuff doesn't happen nowadays anymore. Like, I'm so happy. We, like, <laughs> learn that people, you know, do deserve access to fair housing and equal rights and, and, and seeing their taxes at work and, and you know, not being told to fuck off and die because you weren't, I don't know, bootstrappy enough. We live in a meritocracy, Elisa. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I know, I know. I'm just trying to say I'm so happy that we finally got to a place where these things are real. Like it's. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It. We're just remembering the bad times yes. now that we live in the good yeah, times. Yeah, from the comfort of of our utopia. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Th this is only strictly uh, intellectual curiosity and nothing oh, else. Oh yeah, yeah. Clearly, I'm 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 so happy. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Hitler praised the Christian Social Party for its shrewd judgment concerning the worth of the popular masses and for its practical wisdom and particularly their attitude towards socialism. He admitted that he had learned from Luger the importance of the social question and that of understanding the lower strata of the population. Now, Luger would make a big fuss about keeping Vienna German and uh, the right of German to Germans to call dibs on positions of power within the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Shh, 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 shh. Can you hear that? Listen, listen. It's the sound of Petofi rolling around in his grave. Talpra <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, well, promises kept <laughs> for more years, exactly. what can I say? Oh, <laughs> nevertheless, okay, so nevertheless, he was a loyalist of the monarchy and actually took a position against nationalism as a student. So, you know, as you said, people are complex and quite complicated. Uh, and uh, he was actually not just against any nationalism because, you know, Germans would usually be against Hungarian nationalism and Romanian nationalism and the nationalism of everyone else who wasn't German. I mean, but he actually took a stance against uh, growing German nationalism during the Franco-Prussian War of 1870-1871 of all places and times. So uh, he had some uh, he had some guts, and he actually barely escaped a beating at the hands of his nationalist colleagues uh, when he was a student. But, you know, he took revenge years later when he banned uh, Schoenerer's pan-Germans from holding office, refusing them as municipal suppliers, and even forbidding them from using the municipally owned gyms. <laughs> so, you know, man could hold a grudge. But, I mean, do you really want your political opponents to be, like, ripped, you know? <laughs> Showing off their gains on, you know, the... Of late 19th century Austrian version of Insta, which was probably broadsheets based on like, I don't know, poles, whatever kind of poles they had. I don't know. I'm just like saying you, you got to make sure that your opponents aren't hotter than you. You, you. you also have to make sure your opponents drink soy. I mean, yeah, soy and boy. And eat soy. Yeah. And, and he, and he like, like a true man's man, he held on to his beef schnitzel hard. <laughs> yeah, of course, it's protein, baby, it's protein. Okay, so he entered politics as a liberal, uh, as I said, but for about five years, he sat with, actually, his leftist colleagues in parliament. Gradually, his discourse on corruption morphed into anti-capitalism and then took a sharp turn into anti-Semitism. He also gained recognition for representing the little man, pro bono. 
Uh, now, uh, it's important to point out that just like Schoenerer, what Luger meant by the little man was not working class people as a whole, and, you know, of course not women. What both politicians did was to carve out a section of the working classes or lower middle class and exalt them above all others. They would call that segment the backbone of society, the hard workers, the virtuous one, etc., etc. And Luger vowed to represent and protect these people against all the forces of capitalism and the proletarian mob. Throughout these early years of his political career, the man had uh, only one clear mission. Because as we can see, ideologically, he was a bit all over the place. He wanted to become Vienna's mayor. And he, he, applied, uh, he applied the secret. He, he had a vision board. <laughs> you know, he had his goals and he was doing whatever it took to get get himself there. And and see, this is another clear example of why the secret works. Yeah. I mean, if you dream it, it's uh, you're halfway there. Yeah. Yeah. You dream it, you, you visualize it and then you become it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once he set himself uh, this goal, he used whatever opportunistic moves he could to get ahead. Uh, to quote Haman. Uh, having entered the city council, he switched over to the social democrats and with their aggressive opposition toppled the liberal mayor. Luger supported Schoenerer's German national reform movement and fought at Schoenerer's side against the Rothschild family and for nationalization. He then switched parties. He secured the support of important local and prof professional organizations, most notably by the, of the butchers, bakers and teamsters, but also of Viennese homeowners. I like that he, he went straight for like butchers, bakers and teamsters, like the real man's man <laughs> of, of the working the class. The backbone, the backbone, the backbone. Yeah, yeah I, I mean... But also, but also homeowners, you know? I because... mean, obviously, obviously, <laughs> it's, it's like it's all about property lines and, and paying taxes and making sure that the right people live in your neighborhood. When we all know what the right people usually mean, or at least we all have a very good idea of what the wrong people <laughs> yeah. represent. Yeah. Uh, so this is the part where we get to learn more about who the fuck the Christian socials were. <laughs> I mean, that sounds, sounds, sounds like some interesting cross-branding happening there, but okay. Uh, so in 1887, Luger finally found his team. Uh, joining the Christian Socials, and it is under their banner that he will make his reputation as Vienna's favorite mayor. Of course, uh, by allying himself with the Catholic Church, he was not only taking up sword on behalf of a centuries-old institution, but he also gained access to the church's infrastructure throughout the empire. Uh, Hitler wrote highly about Luger's instincts in this regard because he cleverly avoided Schoenerer's mistake of pitting himself against a powerful institutional enemy. Um, Schoenner had launched an away from Rome movement and had argued Austrian Germans uh, should convert to Protestantism, uh, you know, as a big fuck you to the monarchy. Uh, and also because he was an uber simp for Bismarck in Germany. That would be a cool band name, though, simping for Bismarck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But was he like, what was he technically? So he, he tapped the Catholic Church, but was he Catholic himself? Or again, yes. is this uh, just Luger being an opportunistic asshole as he was on his way to make his secret dream come true? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 was Catholic, but uh, you know, so was Schönerer in, initially, and then he switched. So, and and generally Ooh. speaking, at that time in Vienna, switching your uh, religion was. Uh, I, I don't know if statistically it was very common, but it was happening because you also had, for instance, Jewish families who were trying to assimilate and who would convert to Catholicism usually. Uh, and as I said, you had plenty of uh, Germans who would convert to Protestantism because they were simping for Germany or or, you know, maybe for very valid uh, reasons uh, that were outside politics you know, personal reasons, maybe. Yeah, still, I mean, as a Protestant. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> as a Protestant girl. Yeah. <laughs> as so, a Protestant girl talking to a former Catholic girl. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> say I'm a Protestant. I mean... Yeah, you you are also a fallen one. I'm ve fallen very, 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 very far away. I don't think I've <laughs> I don't think I've been voluntarily inside of a church like for like the regular church purposes, not just to look at the pretty pictures or to go to someone's mm -hmm. wedding. I it's, it's it's been over well a decade. So like me and Jesus decided to see other people a long time ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, yeah. I I don't know if I qualify as a true Protestant other other than the whole I'm incapable of enjoying not doing things because I mean Protestants <laughs> always have to work right it's it's uh, Catholics are the ones who lounge around just looking at pretty pictures and I know. mean <laughs> guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so let's uh, moving on yeah. from debates of, of religious uh, worldviews and such. How yeah. exactly did Mr. Luger uh, employ the Catholic Church or did well, the Catholic Church employ him more for their own gains? Well, we're actually going on a tangent right now to find out more about uh, these Christian socials. Uh, like so many things, good or bad, it all started with the French Revolution. La Revolution! <laughs> Yes, in the sense that while some European monarchs were reeling from the sheer shock of the events in France, ganging up internationally against the new republic, some also began a series of reforms at home. Uh, the idea was that by easing the pressure a bit, they would avoid full-on mayhem. And Joseph II of Austria was one such reformer. Yojika! Yojika. <laughs> And one power broker that was deeply displeased with his actions was the Catholic Church. Throughout the first half of the 19th century, they kept trying to repeal some of these reforms, and in 1855, it looked like they got their victory. The Vienna Concordat, I think that's how you pronounce it, gave the Church full authority over the appointment of its bishops and its internal affairs, as well as control of primary education, so they got the kiddies, uh, and oh, gave Diana. ecclesiastical courts jurisdiction over marriages involving one or both Catholic partners. Ugh. <laughs> it's just... All the good stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's such a great mixture for, you know, in general. It's, oh, God, no. I, <laughs> ugh, no, just, I, no, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you will be happy to find out then that that victory of the Catholic Church was short-lived. Happy Protestant noises! <laughs> As little by little, the new liberal political elite chipped away at it. 
In comes Baron von Vogelsang. By this point, I am sure you won't be surprised to learn that he is yet another 19th century German dude called Karl. Ah, oh, yeah, Karl, come, Liebli, come here to my Moshi. <laughs> also, side note, like, Vogelsang, really? Baron from Songbird? And you're gonna be like a hater? It's just like. No. Man, man didn't choose his name. Yeah, but I think he was trying very hard to like make up for it. I think maybe for Baron von Vogelsang, we could totally ask some questions uh, regarding the, what was it, the papa and the penis meter? <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> um, so Vogelsang had a bad case of galaxy brain. He wanted to lay the foundations of a new social order. Uh, the way this would work is through a strong partnership of church and state. In this scenario, the church would suggest principles of and reforms, while the state would naturally enforce them. But, like, you can't do a new world order without the Jews. Like, everybody knows that they're in charge of it. Like, <laughs> Italians got pizza, <laughs> you know, the French got, like, romance, and Jews are in charge of running the world new world order. Like, yeah. why don't the fascists want to get that? Like, why don't they want to just get that? So I, I didn't decide this. It was, it's just how things are. The sky is blue. Yeah. And also, I don't know, you've probably missed the fact that, uh, weirdly enough, uh, things, uh, things uh, such as uh, this uh, proposal, you know, which is, which falls under, I believe, under the definition of theocracy. Well, it's not theocracy unless brown people do it, right? So... This is just social ref uh, reform of the social order. Wait a second. I think I think uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini has entered the chat. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously, you all know that if 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 white people care about religion, then it's just like good Western values. And if yes. it's not white people, then it's the theocracy. Of course. I mean, again, it's just mm. how things are. Um, okay, so before offering an alternative, uh, an incisive critique of liberalism was in order, and Fogelsang provided it by detecting three weak points that he could better relentlessly. The first one was the fact that while liberals made great hay about liberty, they didn't seem to care that those with little material security wouldn't see much of it. But I mean, fuck the poor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, but we we will also gently uh, caress their little heads and tell them we really care about them. And then fuck ourselves uh, gently with a couple of chainsaws. I mean, again, you're doing the king shaming thing, Elisa. I, I'm, 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 I, I apologize. I don't, but I do. So you're, you're doing the king shaming instead of realizing that this offshoot of the conservative movement actually acknowledged socialist point that the basic material needs of the people must be met in order to achieve loftier ideals. So, you know. Anyway, the second point of attack was that liberals love laissez-faire capitalism. Uh, competition was hailed as the greatest thing since the first slice of Zachertorte hit the Viennese palate. But I mean, how else would uh, Karl get all the trophies and make up for his small, small pee-pee? I don't know, but uh, there's always a way. You always, you always have to compete. I mean, there's nobody, not everybody can get the big schnitzel. Well, yes, but uh, someone can get the Zachertorte instead. So, instead you know, of schnitzel, just... why not both? Why, why not a Zachertorte made of schnitzel? 
Because you're not rich, Elisa, because you're not rich. Oh my god, I forgot that for a second. And here I had confused the closet that we're recording from to a fucking professional sound booth. Yeah, so, you know, competition here or there, but uh, the thing is, that same competition had wrought havoc among a whole section of the lower middle classes and working classes. Oh no, did it, I'm so fucking shocked, <laughs> like, oh, really? Why you, why you poor, Elisa, why you poor? I mean, if you if you wouldn't be, then maybe competition would be a good thing for you, not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, I should do something about, you know, just stop being poor. I mean, yeah, I just never considered it. Yeah. Um, adding insult to, in, insult to injury, the same people who were victimized were then told, um, sorry, man, it is what it is. The songs survive and the weak must perish. The state is not here to hold your hand, bucko bootstraps and whatnot. <laughs> First of all, you know you need to do that in like a southern voice. No, it's uh, the JVP thing all the way. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not going to. Oh, Jesus. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you know my, my personal feelings when it comes to the whole dumbass bootstraps theory because, I mean... I'm, I'm, I'm every bootstrapper's, you know, freaking dream and I'm, I'm super against it and I hate it because, I mean, whatever, we're not gonna get into that, but it's, it's just dumb shit. It's so much dumb shit. Yeah, the whole, the whole point of uh, the, the feel good, uh, I made it stories is that they are exceptions. Yeah, it's always an exception, and, and and it's a fluke. Yeah, it's a fluke. It's it's none. You have to work really fucking hard, and also be lucky. Yes. To to get there, obviously, and and that's and I get that it's super scary to recognize that because it's it is terrifying, the moment when you realize that you're one of the poor ones. Let's say because I mean none of us are one percenters. And and that doesn't matter how hard you work and in a lot of places that doesn't really mean jack shit unless you know somebody or you're lucky. And yeah, uh, yeah it's it's a very uncomfortable thought for a lot of people. So they'd rather just pat themselves on the back and be like, well, I worked hard for it. And if you don't have that, well, fuck you. And also you're poor because you made the wrong choices, obviously, because, you know, things don't happen. Being poor is immoral. I mean, obviously, it's just the way things are. As as a Protestant, you should probably know this really well. I I, I mean, obviously, I know that. I mean, <laughs> let's look at our, our friend Jeff. You know, he just, he was a simple boy from a simple family, you know, who just got out there, hustled, worked hard. And that's why he's the richest man alive right now. Because he mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. worked, you know, how many billions does he own right now? All of them that Musk doesn't, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's it's his own just simple hard work. I mean, everybody should just be more thankful for him for, for just existing. Oh my God, I'm going to throw up. Okay, so the third critique flows from the previous, and it sounds very much like the idea of the atomized individual. Ruthless competition, which leads to an erosion of social bonds and civic responsibility, were things the Christian socials decried about the liberal status quo. So, you know, all this sounds uh, pretty spot on. Uh, where did it go sideways? Well, the thing is, the Christian social coalition rested on someone, somewhat shaky grounds. 
It was made up of artisans, the ones hardest hit by industrialization and capitalism, and Catholic clerics, who for centuries were actually the younger sons of uh, the nobility who wouldn't inherit the family fortune. Uh, so basically, this was a party of nobles and small business owners. Uh, so you need a good, strong glue to bind these two groups together. And that glue was anti-Semitism. I mean, do we really want to refer to anti-Semitism as glue, considering all of the messed up things that happen afterwards? Like, do we really? I mean, <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> I need... I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say it, but you know what I'm referring yes. to. Yes, 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 yes. Uh well so to the Christian socials, uh the origin of all societal ills I listed above were ultimately the Jews in all their many guises. The press, the liberal politician, the intellectual, or even the humble peddler of goods. And here's the thing, like, wouldn't it be nice if every now and then somebody with a German name would blame the ills of the world on, on, on the reptilian agenda, you know, instead of the Jews? But aren't the reptiles the Jews as well? For some people, but if uh, for others, Isn't it no. a crossover? For, for some people, it is quite, uh, the obviously the reptilians are, are a metaphor for uh, Jewish people or whatever other kind of minorities, but it is usually uh, Jewish people. But for a lot of people, it's it's actually no reptilians. Uh, oh, I can't remember his name. There's this guy who who's into all of this. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up one day. But anyway, he specifically he's one of the biggest proponents of the reptilian agenda and the reptilians and everything. I think he's Ike something. David, David Ike. Or David something. Ike. Yeah, it's David Ike. For a second, I I forgot his name. So David Ike and and David Ike is constantly was constantly asked about this. Like, so when you mean reptilians, you say the Jews, right? And he's like no 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 no. like i can totally understand why you think it's the jews but no it's the reptilians i can totally understand why you'd think that yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's <laughs> apparently one of his go-to was one of his go-to answers like i get why you think but no 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 it's like the reptilians oh, are like way worse oh man yeah oh oh but oh, it's the, oh, he, it's, he doesn't have a german name so i'm just like it would be nice well you know, uh, I, I guess uh, what you can say with the whole anti-Semitism anti thing is that uh, that was pretty much what they got because it, was, it wasn't going to be material interest that would bring these two groups together, you know. So uh, when it came to criticizing the rich, uh, the Christian socials only wanted to direct anger at wealthy Jewish families, not at the wealthy in general, as I mean. we've seen. So... Uh, much like some right-wingers today, uh, they shout about Soros and Hollywood and Silicon Valley, which they use to basically mean Jewish people, but don't mention other rich guys. And then there was the fact that the lower middle classes already had their prejudices against Jewish people. After all, there had been pogroms across Europe throughout its history. And so the other members of the party, you know, the ones with the education, had no reason to discuss uh, to discourage these groups from holding on to such prejudices. I mean, quite the opposite. Anti-Semitism was their way of uh, building group solidarity. 
I, 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 it's it's so uncomfortable when you think about it that so much of like I mean I wanted to say 20th century European politics but it's just like general European politics or are, are so much of it throughout history has been you know hating Jews is is what people come together over it's 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 kind of messed up especially when we have the French <laughs> Because I mean, it, it's it's if there was ever a nation that's uh, towards which collective hate could bring the world together into a new era of peace, I think it would be the French. Yeah, but uh, the French also kicked uh, collective asses quite a lot. Even more reason. Yeah, but you don't want to listen. If there is one thing you have to, <laughs> I never imagined I would say this, but if there is one thing you have to learn from right from from extreme right-wingers is that you don't attack, you don't pick a fight with someone who is your of your size or stronger. You pick a fight with someone who is much weaker than you are. So you can beat them up and then tell all the other people watching that, see, this is why I'm the strong one. And why you have the smallest pee-pee. I, I mean... I, I genuinely think that people who have sizable schlongs... I'd like to think that, that, you know, people with sizable schlongs don't get into right-wing policies, but then, you know, you just look at Hungary. I, I, I wouldn't be able to add anything to that. But I mean, it's in the name, you know, Hungarians, for crying out loud. Elisa, you're being violently straight now. I'm getting I, uncomfortable. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to make sure that all, if, if there's any homophobic people listening to this, they, they're going to get super uncomfortable. And again, I'm just trying to make sure to hit all the spots for all of the people who are going to want to, you know, slap me around after this and not in the fun way. But again, let's let's move on from this uncomfortably straight moment to some more uncomfortable stuff. So uh, the whole uh, point about, uh, besides uh, learning about the Christian socials, the whole point of the previous segment was to sort of... Uh, uh, give a reply to anyone who might minimize the role of anti-Semitism in Luger's uh, political success, suggesting that it was merely a springboard. You know, sure, Luger was deeply cynical about its use, but anti-Semitism was never an instrument the Christian socials would just employ occasionally to gain power. Uh, they couldn't have left it behind even once they took office because it was so essential in tying up loose ends in their worldview. And also from a strategic point of view, uh, Luger couldn't drop the anti-Semitic messaging because then he would be outflanked by loud German nationalists such as Schönerer. Okay, so in 1888, Luger unites two factions within the city hall, his own Christian socials and the German nationals creating the Alliance of United Christians. Which is, you know, one of those names that generally doesn't mean anything good for people who are not white. <laughs> um, yeah, well, anyway, following the 1895 elections for Vienna City Council, the Christian socials dethroned the former liberal mayor and Lech Luger's mayor. Uh, at the time, however, the emperor would have to confirm that nomination. And old man Franz Josef said, no, nah, uh, because he thought of Luger as a troublemaker and wanted none of that crazy, thank you very much, despite the emperor's refusal, because the Christian socials kept winning every new election, the whole, you know, process of them putting Luger's name up for uh, as a nominee and the emperor refusing it went on for like two more years. 
And needless to say, the liberals, uh, who were, you know, in sort of the oppositional party, their public image went down the drain because they started putting pressure both on the emperor and then using the newspapers to deny the electors' wishes. So basically they undermined the democratic process, the election process, so to speak. And uh, in 1897, after the liberals went as far as consulting the Pope on the matter, the pontiff ended up taking the side of the Christian socials. And then at this point, the emperor said, fuck it. And Luger was confirmed as mayor of Vienna. I mean, and I I just want to say that I'm completely and utterly shocked that the Pope made, you know, a wrong decision. It's just... I'm so happy that doesn't happen nowadays, you know. Now we have the cool Pope, girl. I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, I have him. You don't. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, at least I don't know. I don't have a comeback for it right now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have? You don't have some. You don't have the superhero. You don't have the holographic Pokemon on your team, do you? I <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. Uh, and and going off on a tangent, that reminds me that I had this little old lady uh, on my street when I was growing up, who just genuinely thought she was uh, Orthodox. Uh, and she genuinely thought that the church, the Protestant church that we went to, didn't have like um, religious murals on the walls because we were just like super poor. <laughs> and she felt so sorry for us. Like she was super kind and gentle about it. And it's just, you know, the fam tried to explain it. And then, nah, it's like, we don't do that. And she's like, but it's so pretty. Why don't you? Don't you have the money for yeah, but it? This is coming. This is coming from, you know, like you said, an Orthodox uh, lady and Orthodoxism is like the the Church of Bling par excellence. I mean, (laughs) of course. Yeah, it's just one of those those instances that was just genuinely so sweet. And I'll never not laugh about it when when I walk by a Protestant church. I always remember her when she was trying to explain it to me. It's like... You could pull your money. <laughs> what? Anyway, moving on. Moving on. Uh, okay, so uh, before we discuss his time in office, let's address uh, what got him into office, and that is uh, anti-Semitism. Uh, this is often the case with a person using uh, a thing like anti-Semitism as a political tool for a long time. It becomes an extension of himself. Karl Luger's anti-Semitism was opportunistic. Yes, but that's no excuse since he associated his persona so closely with anti-Semitism in the public's imagination that even German nationalists remarked that if someone opposed Luger, people immediately assumed that they opposed anti-Semitism. I, yeah, but at the same time, I feel like at least if somebody truly believes they hate they spout, at a certain level, you kind of at least want to can respect that well not respect is going too far but you know they believe it but when somebody knows better than that and still chooses to use such a harmful populist agenda i think that adds another layer of just general shittiness well the only the only thing luger knew or cared about was becoming vienna's mayor yeah so i mean uh, and I, I guess also I'm not I'm not using this as an excuse, but I'm using this sort of a, as a 
contextualization uh, since everyone else pretty much was also rapidly anti-Semitic at the time. I think uh, for him it was basically, well, I guess I'm not doing any, I'm not adding more harm to the wor- world than uh, people around me already are. So you know? basically what you're saying is that anti-Semitism was the mom genes of those times. It was, it was uh, very in fashion, so to speak. Oh, yeah. So... But it's it's again one of the things that uh, you are not really taught in school. You're just taught that there were some bad people at some point who did bad things. But those bad people couldn't have done all the bad things without at least hefty amount of support from the population that was sort of primed for decades and centuries to accept certain things uh, and certain ideas about certain people as just, you know, it goes without saying. It's natural, of course. We know we know those people are not really people. They are subhuman and so on and so forth. Wait, so... are we talking about women now? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we'll go into that in, in another episode, probably. Oh. <laughs> Burn the witch! Uh, so uh, some have argued that, uh, come on, Luger said that, but he never meant it, uh, because although he declared he would uh, do his utmost to keep Vienna German, uh, Luger also carefully picked members of various uh, ethnic minorities to work with him, and that as vicious as his attacks on Jews were, Karl I determine who is a Jew Luger tolerated all who supported him politically. Uh, this is mainly because he did not define Jewishness by blood and ancestry, but by religion. So, you know, loopholes. So that was like, uh, was that like the Rachel Dolezal approach of, of you know, an ethnic uh, identity? is more of an attitude. Well, I think it was mostly because it was more useful for him politically, because then he would not have to exclude baptized Jews, who, as I said, uh, usually were um, well-off or on-the-rise families uh, who would try to assimilate. uh, And, uh, you know, as a mayor, you want to be on friendly terms with people who are prosperous, regardless of, you know, any other detail about their background. Let me give you just a sample of this totally not at all bad anti-Semites discourse. The mayor was not squeamish when a liberal Jewish deputy protested in the Reichsrat against the incitement of people to anti-Semitism. Luger replied that anti-Semitism would perish, but not until the last Jew was, has perished. When the opponent recalled Luger saying during a mass rally that he did not care whether the Jews are hanged or shot, Luger, unfazed, interrupted him to correct him. Beheaded, I said. It's just... I... 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 Is all I can say about that. I mean, yeah, it's totally not all that bad. He, he just wanted to be accurate. When, when, you know, he's asking some, some questions. Never misquote someone. A pedant to the very end. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Ever the metaphorically inclined burger, Luger and his acolytes also used bestial associations when talking about Jews. 
comparing them to swarms of locusts, very biblical, 10 out of 10, Christian socials approved, spiders, pandering to the goth wing of uh, anti-Semites, I assume, and woodworms, you know, for the salt of the earth uh, crowd, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I feel like woodworm is... I feel like that's more of the Harry Potter crowd, to be perfectly honest. Like, <laughs> I can totally get that being an insult and, and, you know, the house of Hufflepuff or something. Also, the age-old accusation of child murder was trotted out around 1900. And the mayor's contribution was this piece of I'm just asking questions bullcrap. It has happened that Jews use blood in violation of their own command, or that they got soiled with blood. What used to happen in the old days? Can't it happen again now? He then put forward long quotes from the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah, whom he used as witnesses against the Jews, concluding that I believe the Jews are not the martyrs of the Germans, but the Germans, the martyrs of the Jews. And wolves, lions, panthers, leopards, and tigers are humans next to these beasts of prey in human form. I mean, it's, 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 again, we come back to that, like, it's, I'm so happy that this kind of discourse doesn't exist today anymore, and you can't just open up Facebook and check on your uncle's latest uh, update and read stuff like that. Mm. So happy it doesn't happen. Yeah. And when it does that, that, you know, the Zuck takes care of, 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 you know, instantly taking down stuff like that, and then, and that our social media platforms aren't rife with white wing discourse. It's, it's so happy that that doesn't happen anymore in our days. Again, like I said, this is purely out of intellectual curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just like Schoenerer, Luger also had a soft spot for the so-called little man. Felix Zalten, none other than the author of Bambi, <laughs> argued Mania? that... Mania? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, is Bambi a Nazi? No, 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 no. No, but uh, I guess he was uh, alive uh, at the time. Bambi? Well, yes, of course. You know, in the Vienna woods. I mean, so what you're saying is Bambi coexisted <laughs> with Hitler? Bambi's daddy said this about Luger's success. <laughs> and there comes the man that slaughters, a Jew before the howling crowd. He slaughters him on the rostrum with words, tears him to shreds, and throws him to the people as a sacrificial offering. This is his first monarchic clerical deed, directing general discontent towards Julian. May they work off their anger there. So what Luger does is uh, he picks out the, uh, this chunk of the electorate and separates them from both their working class roots and from the degenerates from further up the ladder. You know, as we've established, only some aristocrats or capitalists count as degenerates. The others are just fine. They're perfect. Luger tells this select group that they're very special. They work the hardest and they are the backbone of society. He knows what their insecurities are and tell, tells them things like all those people with a better education. Look at a poor job they did running the city. He berates professors. He jeers at science. The whole package. Again. So unfamiliar. Like, I'm so happy that there aren't, like, actual superpowers, uh, you know, in the world today. I'm just, I'm just so happy that, you know, you know, just, just, just it's Ce nice. Celebrating it's nice. the present. 
Yeah, yeah, and 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 this utopia of of just freedom that we have. Yeah, well, uh, all of this, you know, it's it's not all that he's doing. Oh no. Yeah, he also gives the crowd pageantry. He wears his signature bling in public, a massive golden mayor chain. Appears surrounded by a posse of public sector workers in special court drip, which is green tailcoats with black cuffs and a yellow coat of arms. And he is also having a balanced party, so he usually brings along the clerics as well. And if you're gonna bring the priests along, you might as well bring the altar boys because, uh, you know, insert random Catholic joke here. I don't think that we need to add any insertion to this <laughs> no. specific instance. I think they have it quite well in hand. In hand, indeed. I, moving on. The public fucking loved all of this. They called him Der Schöne Karl. Ugh, 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 my vagina just made the window shut down noise. <laughs> no. And he was more popular than any actor or celebrity of the day. <laughs> and at this point you might ask, okay, Diana, but what about the ladies? Did the ladies love the, this Catholic heartthrob or was uh, the Logger fan club just a massive Wurst party? Schnitzel. It's, 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 I, we need to keep it factually correct. It's all about the schnitzel. Well, you know, history has taught us that the ladies love Cool J, but they also loved Cool K. <laughs> the man hey. had his own Christian women's association, which he dubbed My Harem. And uh, the association was also widely known as Luger's Amazon Corpse. I mean, I mean, I, I, again, I, I need to stand up and, and, you know, acknowledge my people and be a traitor to my people. <laughs> I'm going to be just like, why are, you know, straight women like this? It's like, technically, you know, like, but like, why, why? And, and this also reminds us, like, again, this is something that probably international audiences are going to be less familiar with and probably I'm dating myself quite a lot by saying this but remember that time back in the 90s uh when uh, we had those massive protests and like well obviously you had a lot of weird shit happening but remember the thirst for petre roman oh yes and like there was the whole nu vrem bani nu vrem valuta vrem ca petre roman să ne futa and like to to put that in for our English listeners, that would loosely translate to we don't money, we don't who oh, we don't want money, we don't want dollars, we just want Peter Roman to thoroughly ball us. Yes, we don't care about our material needs being met. We just want the charismatic leader to be there for us. And to thirst over him, yeah. thoroughly <laughs> thirst over him. And like you don't care that he's actually a horrible person, you just thirst for him and that's why by the way 50 shades of gray is such a massive hit even though it's a total piece of crap wasn't though this uh, slogan uh, sort of a uh, way to undermine uh, i think it was uh, female factory workers who were protesting something the closure yeah, of the yeah. factory or something like that and this was a way to sort of go ah women they're yeah, just obviously. first before the prime minister 
I mean, obviously, that was very much a tactic, and the way the media covered it was very much a tactic, but mm-hmm. it was also very much a reality that just your average, you know, working class Romanian woman of that time definitely thirsted for him. I mean, again, something that I, I know you're deeply uncomfortable with, but <laughs> that there is a, a, an undeniable level of thirst for our current president as well. Oh, God, it's yes. It's not like, you know, you know, you know. So it's 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 definitely does not hurt to be sexually appealing to your electorate when you're a man. Yeah, and also in and, and also a good idea to be tall. <laughs> yes, just be tall. So like to be a successful politician, there's like the holy checklist for being a successful politician, at least in this context. It's like so, don't be poor, <laughs> be tall, and just like hate on the Jews. So uh, to sort of explain uh, Luger's success with women, Haman writes that. Luger was adept at using his considerable charm to flatter women and motivate them to work for him. In the example of handsome Karl, the young Hitler could study how a charismatic politician turned women into willing and enthusiastic workforces, ready to make sacrifices. After all, after many years of serving in the clergyman's offices, these women were frequently already used to zealously obeying authority. I mean, spank me, daddy. Yeah, so you know, picking picking up the already uh, vulnerable uh, groups that would be willing to 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 listen and follow him. Now, I've talked about the reason the Christian socials and even some of the German nationalists supported Luger, but if you look up his name on Wikipedia, he is still known as the mayor who truly made Vienna a modern city. Uh, remember what I mentioned a while back. Uh, that his only true principle was to gain power within the city. I mean, we already established that that was his dream. He had it up on his vision board. He probably, I'm pretty sure that by the age of 12, he had already picked out those like fancy green coat-tailed uniforms that you were talking about. (laughs) Like, oh, homeboy had a plan. He was sticking to it. Yeah. And once he got uh, there, he consolidated his position by taking real good care of his base. Uh, you know, the little man that we've talked about. Uh, now, the most important uh, secret to Luger's success, writes Haman, was municipalization. I will not never pronounce that word correctly, but it's like the local variant of nationalizing. Uh, and he sort of nationalized uh, utilities, such as gas, water and electricity services such as mortuaries or breweries as well as investment and as well as investing in infrastructure hospitals and parks green gardens and so on and so forth uh, so you know uh, like we've discussed before uh, apparently investing in people's material needs through publicly owned facilities that offer a decent level of service is popular you know i guess right and, and and that was the exact moment that the Texas GOP just left our audience. Uh, so the important thing about the important thing to remember about all of this, um, which you know sounds quite quite fine as a political platform, <laughs> is that uh, all the goodies were just meant to help out his base and his base alone. So he constantly pitted his base of artisans and homeowners against workers, 
uh, that the Social Democrats would represent, he would allow party members to jack up prices. And, you know, with landlords among his base, you won't be surprised to learn that housing in Vienna soon became a nightmare in terms of affordability. I'm just shocked. I'm just, you can't see it, but I'm so shocked. I fainted. I had to get my smelling salts. Like, yeah. And um, he would also use his position to bully private companies or organizations that would attempt to undermine the privilege of, privileges of his base by, listen up, threatening to open up municipal rivals for their businesses. He even declared that he was only accountable to his voters, you know, the real uh, shareholders, uh, I mean, the real Viennese. I mean, the, the real schnitzel eaters. Yeah. Luger also opened up cushy municipal jobs for members of his base. In order to obtain such a sought-after position with the city or a city-owned apartment, a fellowship, or anything else for that matter, one had to be a member of the Christian Social Party. In addition, every city employee, most notably every teacher, had to swear an oath at the beginning of his tenure that he neither was nor would become either a social democrat or a Schoenerian. When Luger died in 1910, he was buried with highest honors and his funeral made history as the most beautiful corpse. Oh God, oh no. Remember that one? Oh no, I do. And I'm like, I was hoping you wouldn't bring it up again and then that you'd forget about it. But here I am. Nah, being nah, nah. It's just, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, so, you know, he went out at the top of his game. Loved by everyone. Uh, But uh, since the success of the Christian Social Party uh, had relied almost exclusively on the former mayor's charisma, they soon soon became irrelevant politically. Nonetheless, uh, Luger's bust is still standing in Vienna, although a plaque has been added to contextualize the man's uh, very mixed legacy. How did he die? Uh, Cancer. I mean, like, like I said, he went out at the top of his game. He basically he won. I mean, it, this is a classic Rush Limbo. Oh, I know you're I know you're You, you, you basically, you know, you've done everything you could, all the bad you ruined could. everything yeah. you could. And then when there were no more things to ruin on Earth, he went to ruin things in hell. Yeah. In conclusion, and circling back to the start of this series, when it was less about politics and, uh, you know, more about the magic of stories on people's imagination, it has been... Are we talking about Bambi again? (laughs) Uh, No, we're referring to the guys in episode one and two, the the sort of uh, proto-fascist fanfic writers. The ones who did not get involved in politics, but just, uh, you know, put some ideas out there. Just ask some questions. Just asking questions. On Facebook. On Facebook. <laughs> but fanfic, in the form of fanfics, right? I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, Luger enriched political science by a great discovery. He transformed democracy, a political orientation that was dying of boredom into modern demagogy, into the art of fobbing people off with the appearance instead of the reality of the situation. Again, so happy that this doesn't happen in in today's times at all. Like, ugh. Wouldn't it be terrible if fake news existed? Um, yeah, so there's quite a lot to be said about how people like Schoenerer or Luger made politics exciting because 
I mean, that part is true in the sense that uh, even uh, the liberal press, so to speak, who was uh, their opposition, would write about their speeches, would would uh, have like these uh, profiles of them. And even when they mocked them, they were still pretty much in the limelight. So, yeah, it was exciting in that sense. Um, but, you know, it's deeply sad that... Although rendering politics uh, something that the masses of people care about is uh, essential for the running of a democracy. So it's a good thing that people are interested and are paying attention to what is going on in the holds of power. Luger and later politicians in his vein were doing it to direct people's energies not towards tackling reality and whatever issues reality was presenting to society, uh, but to engage in struggles that were fabricated, which, as we discussed before, was convenient because they sort of deflected attention from those who were really in power and who were in many ways at the root of the problems that the people were facing. I'm just, I'm just, again, so happy that this doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And it will never happen again either. Yeah, because we solved fascism. Like, it's it's in the past. Like, I don't know, arsenic in your makeup and stuff like that. It's, <laughs> it's, we solved fascism. We solved slavery and racism. We solved sexism. We just solved all of the bad isms and we just have the good isms. Yes. I'm struggling to think of a good ism right now, but like, you know. Consumerism. I mean, <laughs> I, I hope you know that, that you just gave Bezos a boner. As a lesbian woman, I guess this is the only way I will ever do that. But do you really want to, though, is, is, is my question, because I feel like maybe no. It's beyond my control, I guess. I, I, I think that's also something that Weinstein at one point said, so... <laughs> <laughs> maybe let's rephrase that. Yeah. So, yeah. Luger was an asshole, basically. Yeah, but uh, an asshole who dressed well. He spoke in a with a using a very folksy accent, and I mean, uh, yeah, and he uh, just overall was a very pleasant person to be around. So you know, most of it we don't talk about, right? Because he was a good mayor then. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, he was super successful with the chicks, so he had to be like a baller. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it it almost reminds me of that thing where you have boy bands and they're not allowed to have girlfriends, at least not publicly. Yeah, lest yeah. the fans, the the women, the women folk would lose their their minds, and I'm. I'm not sure how much of Luger's decision not to marry was because he was so dedicated to his mother, actually. So if it it was issues on that side or if he just, uh, again, ever so pragmatic, uh, he did not want to, you know, uh, shatter one sort of uh, image and illusion that he had created around his... uh, his self, his persona. Or maybe he just had violent flatulence. Maybe. He definitely had violent flatulence of the mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure he wasn't, like, a, you know, a nice presence to be around. And he probably, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was one of those dudes who 
probably totally looked down on the women that admired him. Yeah, but you see, he did it nicely. I. Uh, he was polite well, about it. He 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 did it the pants way. He would interrupt you, but say, "Excuse me." Oh yeah, oh yeah, and he'd uh, hold doors open for you even when you didn't want them <laughs> held open, or maybe especially when you didn't want them held open. Pretty sure he's one of those people that you really just wanted to stab through the eyeball with your like hatpin or something, mm-hmm. or or one of those people when you were forced to dance with him at a social event, you really truly did make every effort possible to step on his feet because maybe then he's not gonna have to bring his like flatulence of the mouth too close to to your face like we I'm, obviously he was a mansplainer i think we can just assume that without any factual evidence that he was I'm gonna <laughs> take a misandrous moment right here and just make a giant assumption about the political figure that i know very little about but like i think that lines up with his general you're such an incorrigible view. hater eliza I, I know i know i just i'm just a hater yeah I would be great as, as, as a nationalist, considering all the hate I carry inside my heart. But again, I'm, I'm one of those race traders who, you know, hates themselves secretly. You, you took all that hate and turned it into love. I mean, did I? <laughs> <laughs> I, I? I don't know if I did. I don't know if I just I think I just turned it into bitterness and smart assery mm-hmm. is, is, is what I did. But yeah, I mean, just ugh, ugh. Also, it's it's. Uh, I would be interested in learning more about this asshole's uh, relationship with his mom and how much of his mother was in an influence in his, um, you know, public and political life. If if we're talking about uh, a, a granted a more more restrained version of of the whole Henry the Seventh and Margaret Beaufort situation, I think it's inevitable for mothers in this time. Uh, in this period in time that we're talking about to be major influences, especially on their sons' lives, because fathers were not exactly involved parents in the 19th century, early 20th century, most most fathers. So, Or in many places in the 21st. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, I, uh, I think we should wrap this up. Thank you for joining me. And uh, it's, it's been a pleasure to hang out <laughs> yeah. in my dark closet. Yes, <laughs> yes. Everything to make to uh, to have clearer sound, which I'm not sure we'll have, but hopefully, <laughs> hope hopefully hopefully this podcast will uh, will improve its uh, sound quality because I know it's it has been abysmal. But it, we are in a pandemic, so it's everybody's doing their best from whatever they can. Okay, so uh, thank you everyone who is listening. Uh, you know, you can follow us on Twitter at TUR Related. And um, I'm not even sure if that's the handle. Fuck it. You can follow it. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter. You can write to us on uh, our email address. You know, if I fuck that up, you can find it in the description. And, you know, because uh, goodbyes are always and outros are always awkward with me, just bye, bye. Say bye, Elisa. Oh, Nazi sucks. Don't date them. (laughs) Bye.